also I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That men are essential for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Dinosaurs eat men. Woman inherits the earth. Safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are for dudes. <laughs> well, put some skates on. Be your own hero. Hands in the air, Kristen. Yeah. Lord, please give it up for the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Skimmerly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 64 of Citizen Dame, our first episode, official episode of 2019. We did our most anticipated, but that didn't have news and garbage men. <sighs> Thankfully. Same shit, different year. <laughs> Back on our bullshit. Exactly. But I am joined by everybody here this week. I'm Kristen Lopez, joined by the amazing Karen Peterson. Hello. Kimberly Pierce. Hello. And Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. Full disclosure, the Lone Ranger is on, so if I become distracted. <laughs> <laughs> Just ignore me, as we usually do. But we have all the stuff that we didn't do the last three weeks. This is essentially us playing catch-up. Where do we want to start on the big grab bag of crap? <laughs> Why don't we start with just catching up with where we've all been for the last couple weeks? I'm okay with, yeah, delaying the garbage gratification a second. Yeah. So we did our most anticipated, but what has everybody been up to? Wait, Kristen, what have you been up to? What have I been up to? What did I do? Oh, I moved! <laughs> In case you haven't listened to our most anticipated, uh, I moved all the way to sunny Los Angeles to stalk Army Hammer. No, actually. <laughs> I did it to hang out with Karen more. That's right. And your first two weekends in sunny California, Southern California, it's been raining. It, it has, which is really no different than back home. So for me... <laughs> I was just like, okay, this is exactly like Sacramento. So it's but your fault. In that time, Karen and I met Alfonso Cuaron, which was super cool. We saw Emma Stone's head very briefly, which was pretty awesome. And Ben Barnes walked across the street in front of us, and I had to hold back from rolling down my window and screaming at him where John Bernthal was, because I didn't care about him. I wanted to know where... <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I just had to, tr I was tr quickly trying to remind myself who that was. And then you reminded <laughs> yeah. me. Most people have a hard time remembering who Ben Barnes is. That's cool. Aww, um, poor boy. Yeah, it's, it's been pretty, it's been pretty fun. So I'm glad that it's over because moving is hell and you should only engage in it if you're really, really sure. It's like marriage. There you go. Karen, what have you been up to? Well, I also moved. Moved four miles from four, blocks. <laughs> four miles, not four blocks, <laughs> okay. but um, same basically thing. the same distance. I moved. I live in my own apartment now. I'm still not fully moved in, but that's okay. Did, did you do the Kevin McAllister, I'm living alone thing? I totally did. <laughs> Your own apartment? Listen to you, adulting. I know. It's so great. I don't even... It's a converted garage, so it's a studio apartment, but it's a detached garage, so I don't even share walls with anybody. It's amazing. Oh, my God. Living the dream. The most important question, how's my toaster that I bought you? It's fantastic. 
Woohoo! Oh, yes. A, I don't even remember if it was a two slicer or a four slicer, but it came highly recommended from Amazon. It's two and it's perfect. I never make Woo-hoo! more than two slices at a time. I know. Who does four? That's just a really greedy toast person. Exactly. I was going to say, that's weird. That's, <laughs> that's really weird. Well, you can make a bagel and you can make toast at the same time. True. That's a lot of things. This is January. Yeah, and I, you know, I got to save all that stuff because I'm going to Sundance. I was just at a Golden Globes party. So, you know, I got to. Just hanging out, flooding it up with Army Hammer. I get it. I get it. All the awesome Karen things. Richard E. Grant. All you you Southern California people. I I was trying to make a list. Oh, my gosh. So, no. So, I got invited to Fox's Golden Globes after party i was trying to make a list of all the people that i met and and saw at that party and i can't even remember them all there were so many like i keep thinking of oh yeah and i saw that guy and oh yeah i talked to him too like brian may was there i totally rode in an elevator with joe mazzello and we chatted and he's super sweet yeah and like mike myers and i talked to olivia coleman and Taylor Swift walked right by me and she stopped to take a picture with someone and then Joe Alwyn was standing right in front of me. So I was like, hey, Joe, I saw you in The Favorite and Mary Queen of Scots. And he's just like, oh, cool. And I was just like, wow, he's really actually that boring in real life, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds wow. right. You should have you should have been all I saw you in Mary Queen of Scots and the favorite and none for Operation Finale because the only person that remembers he was in that is me. I didn't even see that movie, so you know. No one needs to see that movie. It is <laughs> you're not missing much. So you want to see him play a Nazi, like good for you. I don't so. need to see that. I'm good. You saw Boy Erased. I did see Boy Erased. Oh, that's right. He's, he's in that he movie. He was that erased from my memory in that movie. So, Okay, yeah. we're adding him to the um, Hunnam Kinnaman-Ninsky. <laughs> you know, he does kind of look like all those guys. So He does. There you go. Further proof that they are all one man and not Justin Thoreau, Lauren. They are actually all Justin Thoreau. <laughs> he plays all of them. How dare you? You see. Lauren, what did, uh, what did you do on your summer vacation? On my, my summer vacation, I went upstate and hung out with my family and my friends, and it was very cold. And it, now I'm back in the city where it's also very cold. So I've been cold, pretty much. You know, it was very relaxing. Like, it, it was nice. And I got to see a bunch of movies, which I was happy about. I'm waiting for someone to send in a tweet and be like, cold like Lauren's soul. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> According to the movie Kristen and I saw the other day, apparently it's cold in New York all the time because that movie spans six months and they're always wearing scarves and jackets. So <laughs> it is definitely not cold in New York all the time. In fact, in the summer, it's pretty fucking hot. I was literally sitting here like, what the fuck movie are you talking about? And then I remembered what you were talking about. I was like, God damn it. Let's know, never sorry. talk about that movie again. I'm sorry to give you that, that PTSD <laughs> trigger. It is cold in the wintertime, however, so... Yes, but do you have, obviously, handicapped people traversing the streets of New York City like it's no big deal? Yes, all the time. That's like... Oh, I know which movie you're talking about now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There you go. Light bulb. (laughs) I mean, if you're really, really rich, certainly. Like, I don't see why that would be As I told Karen, I'm just waiting for her to prove her loyalty to me so that I can give her that check for $50,000 that I've just had lying around in my house because you know i have thousands of because you're a magical handicapped person uh aren't we all 
according I mean, to Hollywood, you are. <laughs> if introducing you to Alfonso Cuaron isn't good enough, then I just don't know what is. You get me Justin Thoreau, and then you'll get that fifty grand. So there you go. Um. That gauntlet has been thrown. Uh, Kim, what about you? What did you do? I was in Denver the whole time, so we were actually pretty mild. You would think we would be the cold ones, but we only got cold yesterday. Uh, uneventful holidays, mostly. I pretty much just worked, didn't travel, nothing really too, too much to report. The end of my good screenings really wrapped up before Christmas. And our I was just looking at our new screening schedule, and I think I'm taking the month of January off. But other than that, we had a nice, relatively relaxing holiday. We should say that we all have officially seen On the Basis of Sex. Yay! Yes, And everyone yes, else yes, should, finally. too. Absolutely. I am not so slyly trying to convince my mom, because she has the weekends off for the moment. And I was like, so hey, we should go to the Burbank Mall. You know, they got a movie theater there that just happens to be playing On the Basis of Sex, if you want to go see it because she hasn't seen it yet so i might be slyly trying to get her to to go with me so that i can see it again because who who doesn't want to see it again it's amazing i don't think we can avoid reality much longer we got to get into (laughs) all the shit that happened um i don't know if you guys know this but a lot of stuff happened while we were on hiatus talking about garbage reality hit us like a bitch yes as we were talking about army hammer and giving out awards why are men were menning and doing terrible things um we're not going to talk about every bad thing that happened because that would be a 17 hour show and who wants that we're just going to touch on some of the things that we felt really really passionate about um and by passionate we mean pissed let's talk about the thing that just kind of came and went which was Kevin Hart almost hosted the Oscars again and then decided, no, he was good not doing that. Essentially, if you don't remember, Kevin Hart was listed as the Oscar host and then people brought up homophobic comments that he had made uh, in the past. And instead of apologizing for them, which the Academy wanted him to do, he said, nope, I have... No, it changed. I'm I'm not the same person that I am, but I don't feel I need to apologize for any of the things that I did in my past. And he said, screw you, Oscars. And instead of finding anybody else with the vagina, maybe, or any other person of color, because I'm assuming Kevin Hart isn't the only one, the Academy just kind of floundered. And then Kevin Hart went on Ellen, and Ellen just shot herself in the foot and said, don't let the haters take this away from you haters being all the people of the lgbt community who thought that he should have just apologized and moved on but he still said he wasn't going to do it and now he's not and the academy said for the first time in their history they are not going to have a host but they are trying really fucking hard to get all the avengers to show up because disney doesn't own the oscars of course they just own abc (laughs) That's a clusterfuck that happened. Um, how do we all feel about it? Well, and also I heard yesterday that not like in order to make this supposed Avengers reunion more special, they actually requested that none of the major cast present at the Golden Globes. Oh. So that's why none of them were presenters. 
I thought you were going to say they were going to make this more special by having Chris Hemsworth show up in his Billy Lee outfit. Well, I mean, that's really what they should be focusing on, but clearly they decided to go in a different direction. (laughs) Yeah, we need, like, Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans to give everybody, uh, like, an aerobics class or something like that. I mean, that's just... Yes, like, they should just have him show up and host as Billy Lee and just not tell anybody what it is. So if you didn't see Bad Times, you have no clue what's going on. (laughs) And you think that Chris Hemsworth started a cult and you're ready to join it. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I I mean that would be fun. It would be unpredictable and it would say, "Hey there ladies, we understand. Your life has been shit this year. So you know what? We're going to give you an Oscars where you can just relax, look at great clothes and stare at Hemsworth's abs for however long this episode goes and you won't complain about runtime." And it would probably be more original than anything those award shows have done in the last 20 years. <laughs> But to go back to Kevin Hart and this this need to get him on the Oscars, I'm still not understanding why they fought so hard to get him to do it. I mean, it just it seemed like the Academy was groveling at this point. Like, please come back. He wants to double down. Like, let him be an asshole. The whole concept of uh, these are just some isolated, quote unquote, haters, the Taylor Swift type of haters. For Ellen to say that, I, I just felt it was really offensive because... People had valid concerns. People had valid critiques. For them to just say that these are just a bunch of whiny babies on Twitter, it just goes back to, I think, what what we all experience, too, as critics. You know, that we are just these isolated people living in our mom's basements who are just, you know, spewing vitriol with no reason. No, there was plenty of reason. This tendency to be like, oh, you're just complaining. You're just saying, you're just criticizing in order to criticize almost. It's really weird. I, I read an interesting article about, the, it's a long read too on BuzzFeed um, by Shannon Keating that actually talks about Ellen, Ellen specifically. And it's not just about the Kevin Hart stuff, but everything sort of leading up to that, you know, and it goes back into some of the history of her her television show, like her original television show, the sitcom <laughs> back in the day, if anybody remembers that. And the way that she's been kind of this advocate, on the one hand, this advocate for LGBTQ people, but also has not aged well, almost. The, the, the changes that have happened in the culture, she has not kept up with, and she's still had this, this attitude towards, particularly towards the press, as being, as being, as you say, haters, as being like people that are trying to catch you out in some way. Which is understandable if you really look back at some of the whole arc of her career, but at the same time is just very not attractive in the current moment because the world has changed, social media has changed a lot of things, simply dismissing both the press and any criticism. You know, Kevin Hart was criticized for legitimate things. It's not like people were latching on to something about him and then blowing it out of proportion. It was just like, no, he said really homophobic things in a public forum. You know, we have to be able to talk about that. Like, why wouldn't we talk about that? And all that was asked of him was that he apologize. Like, it wasn't said, like, you have to recant. You have to, like, I don't know, perform. You have to, like, flagellate yourself in public. It's just like, no, just say that you're sorry. Just say that you didn't, that you're not that person anymore, that you don't want to be that person, that you apologize for it. And he could not even do that. He's, like, gone on and on about how, oh, I've apologized. Or he's just like, no, you've never apologized. Never. You have never said that you were sorry. You've said that you were sorry that people were offended. 
but you have not said, I am sorry for the things that I said. To go back to what you were saying about Ellen, I've always felt that, and I'm sure somebody has said this, that she's your mom's de- depiction, or, you know, your grandma's depiction of the perfect LGBT person, which is that relatively unoffensive, you know, doesn't yeah. doesn't flaunt their sexuality in public, but you know about it. And I think that that opens up a whole can of worms about our history of like the right type of minority. You know, we see that with with Get Out, I think really perfectly encapsulates the concept of like the the right type of minority who doesn't make waves, who's essentially a white person with just a pigment issue. And I think that's that's yeah. kind of like Ellen, which is that she's the right type of person for conservative middle America, but that comes with its own host of problems. And, and as this article argued, and I really, I encourage everybody to go and read the article. It's actually called Ellen DeGeneres and the Limits of Relatability. And cause it, it goes into also like her, she has a Netflix special that just came out and it's that issue of being a relatable person and how in some ways, how progressive and almost shocking that was back when she came out initially. And, you know, people don't remember what a big deal that was her coming out both as like as as the person that she was and her coming out on her television show and then there was all this talk about like she's flaunting her sexuality simply by being out and that was one of the reasons that abc gave for actually canceling her sitcom after like one season after she had come out but that that as you're saying is no longer relevant this is no longer the place that that we're at as a culture um, and it shouldn't be. I mean, and Ellen has her presence has advanced gay rights in a in a pretty massive way. But we can't like we can't stop there. And she's kind of become in that sense passe. She is very safe. She's very like, oh, this is what a lesbian should look like, and we are okay with her and we're comfortable with her now. Well, you know, maybe comfort is not what we're seeking anymore. Well, the thing about Ellen, I love her and. I think that she represents a a person that really just wants everyone to get along and wants there to not be ripples. She just wants everyone to, to be friends. And I think that there's, I think there's something really admirable about that, but at the same time, she needs to realize and everybody else needs to realize that she doesn't speak for the entire community. She speaks for herself and she speaks for a small segment of the community. And that's also important. A very insular segment also. I mean, she is incredibly rich and she's talking with other celebrities about how, oh, we're all just the same. It's like, but we're not. I mean, we're we're just, we're not all just the same because you're a celebrity and you have a lot of money and I don't. Right. And that's, and that's the truth for most people in the world today. Like most of us are not celebrities. Most of us are not able to deal with issues of sexuality or race or gender or anything else from the perspective of an incredibly privileged class. Well, moving on to other Golden Globe and Oscar stuff that won't go away. Green Book, that wonderful movie all about progressiveness and inclusion and in no way offensive because it was written by a bunch of white guys, one of which looks like he's a ripoff for a mobster. <sighs> Where do we want to start? Didn't, didn't we know Peter Farrelly ended racism, guys? We can thank Peter Farrelly. Peter Farrelly also ended ableism, as I've 
been told um but we don't talk about that so <laughs> i have issues with peter fairly i before all of this even happened but green book is an oscar contender i mean it won it won best drama at the golden globes but there is finally some controversy and not actually about the content we're finally getting uh, a sneaking suspicion that the people involved in it might be dicks who flashed their dick at people. So the cut came out with an article. It was revealed that back in 1998, in a quote from Newsweek, this was a quote given in 1998, where Peter Fairley pretty much admitted that he would flash his dick at his cast and crew on the set of his movies. As one does. As As a joke, which I'm like, Uh, do you want people laughing at your dick? I thought that that was not what guys wanted. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to presume what he wanted the reaction to be, but come on, ladies. When have we not dropped our pants as a gag amongst mixed company? I mean, who hasn't done that? Who has not done that? Who among us has not flashed <laughs> people in our workplace? As a kid in the 90s, I will freely admit I watched a fair amount of Fairly Brothers movies. Oh, yeah. That doesn't surprise me in the slightest. No. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. Nope, no. When, I, when, when this popped up the other day, I was just like, yeah. <laughs> so can we just talk about how the Newsweek back in 1998 actually sold this? The quote starts, the, the section starts with, the Fairley brothers have something they want to show you, and it isn't their new movie. Huh? Ew. Uh, Ew. Well, in fact, it's something you'd probably rather not see at all. That okay, is, where that is, is a fact. <laughs> come, come on, Newsweek. Jeez. As Cameron Diaz says in the article, quote, when a director shows you his penis the first time you meet him, you've got to recognize the creative genius. I really want to know if that was said in jest. Like, is that sarcastic? It's got to be. It's got to be. Yeah, it has to be. Considering everything that happened to her after that and, like, the fact that she disappeared, this wasn't the first time she'd experienced that, I'm sure. According to Fox executive Tom Rothman, he said, quote, it wasn't a pretty sight. In fact, I'm still recovering (laughs) from having to see Peter Fairley's junk. (laughs) so apparently this was a common thing that he just did all the time and no one said anything well it was the 90s people didn't used to talk about that i was i was just gonna say i know it was 98 but but really back in the ancient days before we knew (laughs) that that was not okay that's what that's what like just just shocks me about some of these things because some of these things are coming out again <laughs> as it were um <laughs> like stuff that like you say being published in newsweek that people were talking about in the 90s and it's like wait a minute did we were all okay with this were we okay with this in the 90s i didn't think that we were okay with this you know at no point was this okay why was this not an issue when have you not gone out to the mcdonald's or to see your dentist (laughs) the first time you meet them they whip their penis out i mean come on it is just like why would anyone think that this was that this was an okay thing and that this was just a, a joke and it does it really does highlight the 
just the level of power and the level of sexism that has been there in Hollywood for so long. And recently, you know, this is not the 1960s. This is not the 1970s. This is fucking 1998. This shows you how ingrained, this shows you how ingrained it was. The fact that we could read about this and, you know, time in Newsweek, I, you know, I was a debater in high school. That's, you don't get much bigger than those two magazines in terms of popular news. This in those articles and nobody's blinking an eye, you know, as late as that, no wonder we're still fighting against this as an issue. The thing is that we knew about the casting couch and stuff like that, but this is, in the 90s, yeah. Yeah, it was a joke. Was, it was no, it was people laughed. But about in the it. 90s, this was all still believed to be completely consensual. So something like the director pulling out his dick and whipping it around, like yeah, I could see why people would have thought, oh, he's just he's just a weird dude and he just does funny things, and no one would have thought that. Not saying that he assaulted anybody, except for like visually. But, you know, we didn't know what Harvey Weinstein was up to. We didn't know what all these other people were up to back then. So it was looked at just very differently. But it is a part of the culture. I mean, the fact that a male director would feel this comfortable doing that, even if he did, even if he was saying like, oh, this is funny, this is a joke. It's it's not funny, but okay, fine. You think that it's funny. The fact that he would feel that comfortable and would not even think twice about it, would not even think that, you know, somebody might be like, hey, that's actually technically sexual harassment, because it is. I don't know. It's just shocking to me. It's shocking that it's not Well, I think it's important to look at how the Fairley brothers sold themselves in 98. Yeah. They were the masters of juvenile toilet humor. For Peter Fairley to whip his dick out, like, that's just, oh, that's something a a 10-year-old would do. You know, it's childlike. It's funny, because... They were the guys that made, you know, that humorous. And I will say it dates terribly. I mean, it was terrible then, but even if you were removed from that time and you don't remember what they were selling, I rewatched There's Something About Mary uh, maybe a month ago. And it doesn't age well. It has aged horribly. And I say that as somebody who saw it when I was 10. My mom took me to go see it. And I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And, and and I did not laugh about it in the same context of the humor that was in the plot. And the Fairley brothers have a really weird, interesting relationship with disability that if I had more time, I'd go into. But I, I mean, people saw me laughing at it and were like horrified if you've seen there's something about Mary because there are disabled characters in it that you are meant to find humorous. Sounds like a paper you need to it be writing. Does. Um, that could be really interesting. I, I should totally monetize that. But but I think that a lot of it was is that, oh, it's in jest because these guys are stupid. They're idiots. And that's just what idiots do. Because we do both sides now on this podcast, um, Peter Fairley did release a comment when this came out. He said, quote, true, I was an idiot. I did this decades ago and I thought I was being funny. And the truth is I'm embarrassed and it makes me cringe now. I'm deeply sorry. At least the words I'm sorry came out of his mouth and not his dick. <laughs> We've seen how hard that is for men. So at least he said, I'm sorry and not, I'm sorry you were offended. I'm sorry that you didn't want to see my yeah. penis. It's amazing. I mean, it could have been a way worse quote. <laughs> but moving on to other people who are associated. You know, I'm starting to think that these people in Green Book just like all work together because they were all massive tools. Again, Green Book won 
for the Golden Globe. It won multiple Golden Globes, actually, but it got some controversy because the or the screenwriter Nick Villalonga, who wrote the script, he's the son, correct, of the Viggo Mortensen character. Correct. He actually had to deactivate his Twitter account because people were noticing tweets that he made in 2015 to Donald Trump about how he was seeing Muslims in Jersey City cheering during 9-11 and how Muslims are bad. Now, this is flying in the face of the fact that Mahershala Ali, who won the Golden Globe for playing Don Shirley in Green Book, has has said that he is a Muslim. Yeah! Look at the guy and tell me you didn't think he was a guy that had racist thoughts like this. I mean, really? <laughs> See, I was going to say, looking at the guy, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that he was hanging out in Jersey City and <laughs> tweeting at Donald Trump. Well, the thing is that it's like, this has been my problem with Green Book from the beginning, is they're basing the entire, you know, I learned how to not be racist anymore story from a guy who brags about being a bullshit artist. That's his whole through line in the movie, this, you know, Tony Lip, the Viggo Mortensen character. And so from the beginning, I've been like, why are we taking this guy's word for it? This doesn't make sense. And now to see that his son is obviously has problems with, you know, people of different religions. I don't know if he's got racist issues. I'm sure that's also part of it. Clearly, he didn't learn as much as he supposedly did. The response to the tweet is, I think, I if I remember correctly, it's all about um, d- when Trump tried to claim that people were that like Muslims were celebrating nine eleven, which was demonstrably false, and there was absolutely no evidence for that. And um, and then he was just like, "Oh no, I totally saw that." It's just like it's so sycophantic, and it's bullshit. It's it's a lie. It's a frank and racist lie. And I mean, it's not even just that Mahershala Ali is a Muslim. It's the fact that like he said these horrible things. About a, about a group of people that is totally fabricated. He wrote a movie about racism. About overcoming racism. About not being racist anymore. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, clearly his dad didn't teach him stuff, you know, if, if everything in the movie was supposedly true, which clearly it wasn't because they never even talked to Don Shirley's family. A bullshit artist wrote a movie about a bullshit the artist. Apple really doesn't fall you know, far from the tree. How it comes together. <laughs> We're getting into the worst of the worst. I, I tried to rank these in order of like terrible to downright fucking egregious. So we're getting into, to quote that fine cinematic masterpiece, A Star is Born. We are far <laughs> from the shallow now. Uh another movie on me so do we want to talk about r kelly or john lassiter i don't know who makes me more angry well let's just mention john lassiter and then talk about r kelly i, I want to go a bit into lassiter because i have issues with this a little bit so so Agreed. john lassiter got a job guys he gets a golden parachute to essentially sit on his ass for the rest of the for the rest of last year, I think, at Pixar, and collected uh, uh, quite a bit of money. But he is now going to go over to David Ellison's company, Skydance, because apparently they think that they are the next Pixar. Which what happened to him retiring? I thought that was supposed to be the plan. It's hard to retire when they probably back a big dump truck full of money into your backyard. Well, I was say, oh yeah, it's I forgot. It's also about hard that. to retire when you have a, a move 
for sexually harassing your staff called the Lassiter. I mean, you really want to keep that going. So John Lassiter is going to go to Skydance and people are understandably pissed off. And it turns out that Skydance actually tried to get Time's Up's thoughts, quote unquote, about what rehabilitation would look like. And Time's Up said they wouldn't do it because they thought that Skydance was really just looking for an endorsement. Me too, really ending the careers of those innocent men there. Yeah, look at all those men being destroyed left Don't worry, Skydance says that they will have a consultant from, uh, recommended by Time's Up, to stay on staff, I'm assuming, in case something happens. Um, And they put out a memo that said that maybe wear a parka and some pants to work if you have boobs. This just irritates me, okay? Pixar's female employees were were fairly vocal about what happened. How is this not like, I'm going to use a bad example, the Catholic Church? Just move them to another company and I guess things (laughs) will be different. I mean, it's not a bad comparison. It's that it's reshuffling. That's exactly what it is. Yep. And supposedly, I, I read an article somewhere on on one of the magazines. Skydance has an eight hundred number for harassment and HR complaints. I am waiting for that line to light up. I'm going to be really shocked if there isn't a lawsuit that comes out of all of this because you know you know Lassiter is going to wind up grabbing the wrong woman, and she's going to be like, you know what? I'm going to sue. And then Skydance is going to actually have a lawsuit on their hands. It's just mind-boggling. I, I do kind of go like, what does this man contribute, really? Other, other than the potentiality of like a danger in the workplace and the potentiality of a lawsuit. What does he really contribute that a hundred other people, male or female, could not do just as well? That's all I wanted to say about it. It just pisses me off. Once again, as, as Kim already said, me too, just ruining men's careers left and right, ain't it? ain't it moving on r kelly there's a lot to to wade through here we're we're not going to get completely into it today if you watch the lifetime series surviving r kelly this this week um it was a six-part documentary uh that was riddled with claims of abuse and statutory rape pretty much saying that r kelly just has like a group of sex slaves this is nothing new he's been investigated he's been indicted there's been lawsuits against him we we pretty much if you are in the know you know what r kelly has been accused of this is not shocking but it is shocking that people are finally taking notice of it now he's being investigated supposedly he is like losing his goddamn mind over it and he should because this has been a long time coming this is a guy who in 94, when he was 27, married Aaliyah, who was 15. And apparently, in the w- the wilds of 1994, that was okay. They, they falsified her birth certificate or something like that to show that she was 18 when she wasn't? Mm-hmm. Or something yeah. Like that. yeah, I think so. But I realized a couple years ago. But um, I had a serious Mandela effect moment over R. Kelly because I could have sworn in the 90s he was investigated and then ended up going to jail. Like for years, I thought that he had gone to jail. I thought he did too. Okay. Did he no, he never did. Okay. Huh. Yeah. And it was over some, I don't even remember exactly what all it was supposed to have been about, but, but I know it was, it involved a lot of underage girls. 
Uh, was it the was it the twenty one counts of child pornography yes, in two thousand two? No, this was in the nineties. This was in the nineties, mm-hmm. and so then it was like a few years ago. I found out that he like had a new had a new album out or something, and I was just like, oh, when did he get out of prison? And then I found out he had never even been arrested, and I was like, what? How do I have Mandela this effects memory? It's weird. so weird. It's so weird. Yeah. I swore he went to prison. Yeah. And I mean, R. Kelly's kind of been this Teflon Don for a while. Which I don't understand. Don't He's even, not anything special. There was literally tape of him with a child. And he was acquitted. Yeah. Because they couldn't determine whether it was actually him on the tape. Like, seriously? 21 counts of child porn and he gets acquitted. It's insane. It doesn't make any sense. And it took nearly a decade after that for BuzzFeed to publish this article about this sex cult that he had, which is really just underage girls who have been believing that they're going to be made into stars or something who end up in these abusive relationships with him. It's insane. Did you guys see about his daughter, how she spoke out yesterday? No. I think it was no. yesterday. Yeah, I saw that briefly. Yeah, I didn't I didn't do a deep dive into it, but she came out against her father and she said that she knows who he, you know, she knows who he is. She knows what he's done. And I guess people have been going after her like, "Why are you protecting this man?" And she's like, "I'm not. Leave me alone. I know what he's done." And she also did say that she's sorry she waited so long to speak up that she should have said something sooner. I want to, I don't remember the exact passage, but I want to say there's a section in, if anybody's read The New Jim Crow, which you should, it's fantastic. They talk about the struggles that the African-American community has when it comes to allegations like this because of the, just the inherent history of blaming African-Americans for everything. And there is this resistance when they actually do have these these crimes and especially if you're a celebrity and it's really fascinating i wish i had the whole section in front of me but i mean there is a still a lot of resistance and i was just like it's r kelly we all presumably enjoy listening to ignition in the summertime back in 2006 but it's r kelly well i was stunned that this all popped back up because i was i think i mean i was on the same page as karen i remember one of i think the three south park episodes i ever watched was that r kelly trapped in the closet bit which really really dates me and even back then when that was airing i remember just knowing that there was issues there there was really not good and stuff. Even then, that episode is more about Scientology. Was that all the Scientology Kelly. episode? I yeah. see. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a Scientology yeah. episode. What he did the hip hop trapped in the closet, and that was yeah. what the whole thing was about. Yeah. That's why they used him. You, it honestly could have been almost anybody, but they used him specifically because of that. Um, oh, and that's right. Mom, Dad, Tom Cruise is trapped in the closet. That's yeah. right. Eh. Yeah, and then R. Kelly comes into the closet to try to get Tom Cruise out of the closet. It's very funny but (laughs) (laughs) we'll keep on this um again we have we have so much that we want to catch up on that i i doubt we can go into this as as much as it deserves to be we do hope that finally some of these charges are going to stick and that you know and it it almost doesn't matter what he goes to prison for just as long as he goes to prison yeah get him on tax evasion if that's what it takes like get him on something these girls are being abused. They need to be. They need to be set free. They need to be protected. And and he really needs to not be in the public anymore. Like, 
we can't let this go on the way that we've let we let Bill Cosby go on for as long as he did. This happened after we last recorded. Kevin Spacey was uh, was charged. He was arrested. He was charged. He went to an arraignment. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be a trial. I'm. He made that weird video. Oh my gosh! Did you guys actually <laughs> watch video. it? I hadn't planned on watching it, and then I was watching like Inside Edition or something, and they were talking about the arraignment. And they showed a clip from it, and I literally was like, "Oh, I need to shower." I'm shameful to, to admit I watched right it. Now. I thought I was trapped in the Twilight Zone. That was some weird <laughs> shit. Um, so I was watching it. Came up on was it Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? Christmas I think Day. so. Yeah, yeah. It was one of the days associated with our yes. Lord. And yeah. so <laughs> I was sitting there with my mom. It was just the two of us, and I was flipping through Twitter, and I see this, and I was just like, "What? This can't be real!" And so I started watching the video, and my mom's across the room, and she doesn't know what's going on, and all of a sudden she just goes, "What is that? That's disgusting." <laughs> She didn't even know it was Kevin Spacey, but just the vibes off of it were You're just like, so it's okay, Ma. It's just Kevin Spacey. It's fine. I mean, at this point, I feel like all these garbage men should just make disgusting YouTube videos together so that we can all ignore them as one. So, like, Kevin Spacey is going on a rant while Peter Fairley's in the back with his dick out and our I Kelly's don't singing see a song Peter about Fairley's it. And we can just dick. all ignore Right, but we could all ignore them as one in one collective YouTube video. We never have to think about them again. <laughs> Golden Globes, Oscars. Mm. What did y'all think? I didn't even actually watch them this year. I was too busy getting ready to go to the party. You're too busy partying at the Fox. Oh, party. that's right. That's right. I did watch them. I was at home. Um, it was very. I will say. The more memorable thing about watching the Golden Globes is I was watching the Golden Globes in LA and I was like, I'm literally 30 minutes away from where they are. It was very surreal. It's about what I expected. I thought Sandra Oh and Andy Samberg, I know people found their uh, their politeness to be annoying. I thought they were very charming. I thought Sandra Oh was great. And, and it was just the right amount of hosting for me. Like you didn't need to bring them out every time. I, I thought it was a, it was a pretty brisk show up until... The maybe the second hour when I was like, okay, we've gotten all the TV out of the way. How is it we still have this award show going on? The Bohemian Rhapsody Green Book Love, I shouldn't have been surprised by. The Golden Globes are very populist sometimes. They are easily bought. We know this. Well, the Hollywood foreign press likes to reward movies that are either not about Americans or about the worst part of Americans. making Americans look yeah. bad. Well, and when mm-hmm. I think too, they're also easily seduced by things that in other countries, as we've discussed, don't really factor into their thinking. So, like racism, I don't think they see Green Book as racist. Remember, this is also the body that fell over themselves for three billboards last year, too. And Bohemian Rhapsody, I mean, Queen the international following, the fact that I'm I'm going to tell you, my conspiracy theory holds true, the fact that I'm sure Brian Singer is working behind the scenes to get that as far as it can. I love the speech that they gave where they're trying desperately hard not to thank Brian Singer, but they, they kind of want to. It's, it's just, I'm, I, I hate it. I hate it so much. Well, the thing about, just going back to 
the racism thing, the thing about Hollywood Foreign Press is they particularly like to reward films about American racism because it distracts from the racism that exists in other countries. Well, that I mean, that's all that America is sometimes. I hate to say there's definitely a European attitude of of America is the racist country and and everybody else is very enlightened. And it's just like, yeah, that's that's not that's not true, yeah, guys. In 2001, in fact, France almost elected a guy who ran on a platform of expelling all the Muslims from the country. <laughs> no, so. exactly. Like, American racism is its own special thing, but so is French racism yeah. and so is British racism. That's, I lived in Britain for four or five years, and some of the things that I heard British people say just off the cuff without even really thinking about it, I was like, yeah, in... in the states that that would get you killed like that's that's some of the worst shit i have ever heard it's just shocking i'm not terribly surprised you're just like oh americans are a bunch of racist hicks it's like yeah that's what you think of us but it's a little more complicated than that and none for a star is born by uh wait no they actually won for songs but you know everybody was incredibly surprised that it did not win more oh yeah Yay for Olivia Coleman, though. Yes, I loved Olivia yeah. Coleman's speech. I was on the shuttle. We were waiting to go over to the hotel, and there were a bunch of young people who work at Fox. I don't know exactly what they do, but um, they work at Fox. And so we were there when they announced the Bohemian Rhapsody one. And so they were all freaking out. They were so excited. And I was just like rolling my eyes, like, okay, guys. Then all of a sudden, one of the girls goes, um guys should i bother watching the favorite (laughs) and i was just like oh my gosh and then someone else goes well i mean you got a screener for it right she goes yeah i have a screener but i don't know if i want to take the time and i was just like damn you like (laughs) i was so pissed i was just like you're excited over bohemian rhapsody you haven't bothered to watch the favorite you don't deserve to do whatever job you do and you don't deserve to be on this bus right now olivia coleman's line that line about when she when she called uh, rachel wise and uh, emma stone her bitches that yeah. was just that Those was my three favorite i'm awesome like oh this season, yeah mm-hmm. i love them i want them to make all the movies together yes. um so yeah that was the globes we already gave you our suggestion for what the Oscars should do, so feel free to take that as as you will. We have some questions. We actually got some of your questions. Uh, we have two questions, actually. First is from Brandon Kane at Zero Wolf. He asks, what changes do you hope to see in the film world in 2019, be it in film production and or film criticism? And what's one film release in 2019 you're dreading most? Well, what change I want to see in film production is Paul Feig is the only man that's allowed to direct from now on. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Fewer mediocre white men in general, just across the board. Like, no more mediocre white men. Stellar white men, okay, we we might permit that. But even then, like, I I want a limitation. Case-by-case basis, yep. They have to apply for admission. Give the women and the people of color and everybody other than mediocre white men a chance. Come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kim, Kim, what's one hope you have for film criticism or the film industry this year? I pretty much follow that up, but I was just going to take the opposite sounding spin on it and say more women. I won't even say no more mediocre white men. I'll say I, I just want more women, more women writers, more women Aww, directors. Kim, that's why you're the best of all of us. 
Don't oh, and get them the attention that they deserve. God That's damn it. Right. My my hope is is that we keep the discussions going about ableism in cinema because as as evidenced by the fact that we had the fucking upside this weekend, I would like to stop having to remind people that those movies are trash. Um, but I have I have no faith in any of that. Um, I'd also like more women writing for the major trades, as we've seen with places like Variety and you know, the Hollywood reporter, they could definitely use some more women writing some of those yep. articles. Um, well stated. And as for a 2019 release that we're dreading, does Taylor Sheridan have anything coming out this year? I'm going to assume he does and say I am already preemptively dreading it. <laughs> I'm going to look that up right now. Let's see. Oh, God. <laughs> he probably fucking does because him and I are in a war. He knows about it. We're just going back and forth. Hell or high water too. What? No, I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. High water is actually the only, the only Taylor Sheridan movie I like, and that's because it hardly has any women in it. <laughs> Sicario three. Sicario three. The border wall. That would be interesting. <laughs> Give him time. Give him fucking time. Any any releases you guys are dreading? This was uh, on one of my honorable mentions. I'm looking forward to it, but dreading it all at the same time. Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Just because with everybody getting ready to go out and Captain America getting ready to go out, I'm worried and nervous. And if anything happens, I'm going to be in a ball, you know, in the seat sobbing. So we'll, we'll see. But I'm really dreading that because that could be hard for me. See, I'm the worst because I'm really looking forward to that because it means it's over. <laughs> same answer opposite reasons i'm gonna say terminator i know that was on someone's most anticipated list that was on my list that was on my list and it's a valid fear okay i am both simultaneously excited and fucking terrified that it's gonna be another hot steaming pile of crap pretty much (sighs) that and taylor sheridan anything just just him in general i'm dreading um (laughs) We have another question from another, uh, this one's from Brendan Agnew at BLCAGnew. He asks, what are your favorite films to watch other people watch for the first time? Hmm. Showgirls. (laughs) (laughs) I make all my friends watch Showgirls, and it's very, very delightful to watch the be like, so wait, they're naked the whole movie? You know, why is she gyrating like that? That's a sex scene? Someone looks like they're going to get hurt. It's a lot of good fun. It's it's a great movie to watch uh, with friends who don't know what you're selling. Like, I just sell it. It's like, oh, it's about dancers. Nope, it is not about dancers. It's awesome. I will say one of the best watching movies with other people experiences I ever had was Reservoir Dogs. I watched that in a screenwriting class with a bunch of other ladies. And that final scene shouldn't give away any spoilers because there's be somebody who'll be like oh my god spoilers why did you spoil reservoir dogs but the when that last scene kind of rolls around and the entire female audience bursts into laughter it was just such a great experience i have made so many people watch lars and the real girl i love that movie it's just so sweet it's not anything like amazing but it's just this really sweet story and i just love how simple it is and so 
like it just makes me happy and when other people like it too it makes me happy as well uh psycho there are people that haven't seen psycho there are people that haven't seen psycho but the most fun i have had showing that film to other people is people who have not only not seen psycho but have no idea what the twist is i nearly spoiled it for them actually because i was talking about it i was talking about it with some friends it was a whole group of people and we were having this conversation and then suddenly i was just like wait a minute who hasn't seen psycho and like half of the room had never seen it i was like do you know anything about it? And they knew the shower scene, but they did not know anything else. And I was like, I am not going to say a word. To see the change in the audience when you kind of get all of the revelations nearing the end of the film, it was amazing. Like, it was just the most exciting moment. And Psycho is one of my favorite films. So it was really, really awesome, first of all, to find people that, that just didn't know. And then to also get to see them experience it for the first time. I remember the first time I watched Psycho. I was in high school. I was by myself. Um, I was like 16, 17. My brother was off with friend. Well, no, he was over at someone's house babysitting. That's what it was. I think it was right after the shower scene. And all of a sudden, my phone rings. And I about jumped right out of my skin. <laughs> and it was my brother freaking out because something was wrong with one of the kids and he needed help. And I was so pissed because he interrupted me watching Psycho for the first time that I've been putting off because my dad, to this day, has never finished watching it because it terrifies him when he hears the score. <laughs> it's a great it score it's a great best. score it is you know even if you know everything about it and when i first saw it i knew all of the twists i knew about the shower scene i knew the ending i knew like most of it it's still a very frightening oh yeah film, but just that like the fact that there are some people that just don't know and i'm like this is amazing because this is exactly what a lot of people in the 1960s experienced because they didn't know and it was a complete mind fuck also it's so much fun. So like, I really always encourage people not to spoil Hitchcock films because they're so, uh, they're amazing no matter what, but they are so even more amazing when you go in not, not knowing what to expect. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your questions. We're going to read more stuff from Twitter at the end, um, but we got a couple trailers we want to touch on very briefly. Uh, you knew we were going to talk about this if you listened to our most anticipated Men in Black International. How do we feel about this trailer? I melted into a puddle and have <laughs> <laughs> still not recovered. <laughs> in the interest of full disclosure, I have seen all of the Men in Black movies, I think. I've seen one, I've seen two. And we know you saw three. I've seen three several times. Don't judge me, okay? The suit works for every man. <laughs> and so I watched the trailer for this, and yeah, I'm in. I'm in, okay? You had me at Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth in sly suits doing stuff. I don't even, They didn't even need to kill aliens as far as I'm concerned. I am just all about collared shirts, skinny ties. This is a soft sell for me. I am so fucking <laughs> That's a hot, hot, hot trailer. <laughs> yeah. The winners are sexiest trailer sight unseen. <laughs> it's just all of the pretty people being pretty. And it's like, wow, there's so much sexiness right here. Like, I don't even care what it's about. It's I'm, I'm just there. Can we just talk about how Emma Thompson rocks that white hair? Yeah. Oh, so much. So, so much. And Liam Neeson's there. 
He was nice to see. Like, that's cool. Wait, this is hot. Yeah, he's, he's, he's looking included hot. in all of the oh, hot yeah. people. I would go see that movie based on hotness alone. I, yeah, I don't even care that it's some. I don't need it to be a Men in Black. I actually, I haven't seen Men in Black since the second one. So, I mean, I had a really crass statement I could make considering it's got both Hemsworth and Liam Neeson, and I've seen one of those men nude, and I have thoughts about the other one nude. So, I mean, it could just be a female gazy alien type of movie that also has junk, but I doubt we're gonna get that. <laughs> I think our Slack chat shows that most of us have thoughts about the other yeah. one nude quite often. Go watch Rob Roy. First 10 minutes of Rob Roy. You will thank me later. Um, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you should. Hey there, Liam Mason. But I'm excited for it. it it's directed by F. Gary Gray, who did the Italian Job remake, which it was entertaining. I, that, yeah. I remember liking that movie a lot. And that comes out June 14th. And you know the dames will be there. We'll probably have a bonus episode. We'll talk about it a lot. Because that's what we do. We promote the little, the little films <laughs> that nobody goes We're better than Chris Hemsworth's publicist, yeah, honestly. We exactly. We should just become Chris Hemsworth's publicity team. We would do it for free. He would just have to show up and smile at us. And we'd be like, our salary's paid for the year, man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so next trailer is one I think we almost all of us had on our most anticipated. Yeah. Kim, did you have it? I was the one who didn't, but I am okay. looking forward to it. Almost. There we go. Still right. So Us. This is the new movie from Jordan Peele, uh, written and directed by him, about a family that goes to a beach house and ends up coming into contact with their doppelgangers. Got Lupita Nyong'o and Winston Duke and Elizabeth Moss. I was so creeped out by this trailer. Um, I don't like think people that like run fast or look unnatural. <laughs> Um, Which makes her really <laughs> awkward when she watches the Olympics. Me out. <laughs> uh, I don't, yeah. The Olympics are still on? I didn't even know that. Again, Jordan Peele, like, I think we all are ready to see what he does next. So yeah. th he didn't even need to give us a trailer, honestly. He could have just given us the poster. And I think but that trailer was really well cut together. That trailer's so Yeah, cool. it's a good trailer. It was. I'd completely agree. We're just waiting in anticipation. It's going to open South by Southwest. Hoping I can change my flight. Uh, if I can't, then I might end up missing it. But it comes out March 22nd. So just a, just a little while longer until we get to enter the dark, twisted mind of Jordan Peele again. I'm ready. And then the last trailer we have, you, I, I believe this was on Karen's most anticipated list. It was not on mine. It was not on my list for this, for 2019, but it was on my list of movies I wanted to see out of TIFF. I thought maybe you had it as an honorable mention, I thought. I maybe I did. I don't know. Uh, Hotel Mumbai. This is the story of a terrorist attack in Mumbai in a hotel. It's got Army Hammer and Dev Patel, who I know Karen loves one and had to admit she loves the others. I am still optimistic about this movie, even though I've got some concerns. Um, I watched the trailer for it, and the trailer looks fine. It looks like a serious terrorist movie. Like, that's that's kind of it. And I'm hoping it doesn't go the America fuck yeah route. Um, I kind of got that vibe with Army Hammer having to, like, get involved and help the poor downtrodden 
residents of India who were trapped in this hotel. Dev Patel looked good. Uh, it's got Jason Isaacs in it too, which is always entertaining. Exactly. How can you go wrong with Jason you Isaacs? You never go wrong with Jason Isaacs. If you if you had seen me during my Jason Isaacs phase when I was like 12, oh my god. <laughs> this is a really interesting time. <laughs> Cautiously optimistic, like Karen said, but i more leaning towards it's just going to suck. Um, and it's directed by Anthony Moras, who has not done anything significant. He's only directed four films, two, uh, three of which are short. So technically, this is his feature film debut. Uh, it's got Army Hammer in it. I mean, that was that was yeah. where I landed. Uh, it's I I tend to get a lot. I tend to get some anxiety about films like that. Just you know, those ones where it's like you know the ending, but you don't know how yeah. they're going to take it. I thought it was a very well-cut trailer. It definitely made me anxious. I also don't know, though, if that was because I was watching it with a migraine and those cuts were pretty fast. Um, at the end, I did sit there and go, wow, Army Hammer was tall. <laughs> yes, <that laughs> constant, constant reaction to Army <laughs> Hammer. You're really tall. <laughs> that was that was one of the takeaways. Um, but I will say really my feelings for him are probably enough to get me to go there and and see it any apprehension aside. I, I will say, considering two of my boys right now are doing serious action films in March, Hotel Mumbai looks like I might make me happier with it. So Hotel Mumbai comes out March 22nd as well. Uh, I might want to change that release date, considering I think most of us will be at the Jordan Peele movie reviews we saw some movies while we were gone and we're going to talk about the the big ones at least let's talk about bird box that's on netflix everybody can watch it who at least has seen it i'm a slacker i haven't watched it yet so oh Karen. is it just me and Kristen? oh i liked it uh i think it's it's really suspenseful for the first hour ish my biggest problem is i think the ending is terrible it's written by the guy who wrote Arrival, and I feel it suffers from a lot of the same problems that Arrival had, which that it gets kind of boxed into a corner with the end, and then it doesn't really know what to do. It uses disability in a way that I think A Quiet Place did a lot better. It, it becomes a little bit pandering in the last final frames. Um, Sandra Bullock's great. Trevante Rhodes is awesome. I mean, I loved that first hour. Isolated location trying to figure out the rules of this world. But then once they actually have to have a climax and try to figure out where this is going to go, I thought it was sucky. It's 95% of a great movie, I think. I would agree with that. I didn't I didn't hate the ending. I just thought like once you get to a certain point it's very predictable. Like I kind of hit a moment where I knew exactly where they were going with this. And I was just like, eh, okay. And actually I felt that way with a lot of the movie, but I think that because there are parts where it just feels like it's checking boxes. Like, oh, that's someone that can be trusted. Oh, that's someone that can't be trusted. Oh, this is going to happen now. But I didn't mind that. I actually thought that they, they used a lot of things really well, even when it's stuff that comes straight out of every type of every one of these types of movies where you've got a bunch of survivors who don't know each other who end up stuck in a single location together which is what this movie is at first but i really liked sandra bullock i thought that she was so good as this you know prickly person who doesn't like to be close to anybody but she's about to have a baby and she's got definite feelings about that and they're not the maternal happy ones 
And then Trevante Rhodes is just hot. And um, <laughs> I mean, how do you not love him? And I really enjoyed watching John Malkovich. I thought he was fun. So I think this is a movie that even if you don't love it, it's hard to hate it. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I think even if you're not into it overall, you're still really enraptured by what's happening. I mean, there are some suspenseful moments, particularly with the children, the child actors, I thought were really great. Oh, yeah. They're so mm-hmm. good in this movie. Um, and, and I think it does really well, again, establishing the world that these characters are living in and how how survival would have to work. There's a, a scene, I won't spoil it, in a car that I thought was really inventive. So well done, yes. Yeah, that, that scene is so inventive. I enjoyed it. I would say just go in knowing the ending is either going to really please you or piss you off. It's funny because people were talking over, you know, over Christmas about how many people t- turned this on and watched it and how like, oh, this movie would have made so much money if they'd released it in theaters. I disagree. I think the reason that so many people watched it is because they didn't have to shell out money at the theater to take a chance on it. This is really shows the heyday of of TV movie events. Back when like the broadcast networks used to have like, oh, we're doing this big you know, we're going to have this big original movie. That's what it reminded me of. And like millions of people would tune in. That totally makes sense. No, I definitely agree. So it's on Netflix. Go watch it if you haven't seen it. And please don't do anything asinine like the bird box challenge and try to drive your car with a blindfold on. That's actually people are doing that. And they're so stupid. So fucking stupid. Please don't do that. Mary Poppins Returns. That was our Christmas Day release. I'm going to let you three talk about it first, and then I'll talk about it. Or do you want me to talk about it first? <laughs> you talk about it first. I was going to say, we all liked it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to be the Grinch in the group and say Big that surprise. I yeah, that's why you have to go first, so then we can okay. clean up your mess. Exactly. Okay. The more I've thought about Mary Poppins Returns, the more I don't like it. And, and I say that as someone who does enjoy the original film, but I love pieces of the original film. I don't love the whole film overall. I was more interested in Bedknobs and Broomsticks than I think Mary Poppins. Maybe because I saw Bedknobs and Broomsticks first. That could be it. I, I summed up Mary Poppins Returns as the sequel to Bedknobs and Broomsticks or Chitty Chitty Bang Bang that you didn't know you wanted. I don't see it as a, se- a great sequel to Mary Poppins. I think Emily Blunt's great. Lin-Manuel Miranda's really good, but I had serious issues with the plot. Um, And I didn't like the songs. I thought the songs were just not memorable. And that's very funny because they had a Sherman Brother act as consultant, and yet none of the songs felt like they belonged in Mary Poppins. I think my big problem with Mary Poppins Returns are my problems with Rob Marshall. I I think a lot of his films, to me, are diminishing returns at this point. Everything I I didn't like about the movie is like, oh, that's a Rob Marshall thing. The fact that I felt it was over long. The fact that I thought that it had maybe one good song front loaded into the beginning and then the rest of them were just blah. I mean, it hits all the Mary Poppins beats, but it felt like imitation trying to do what had been done before, but not really understanding why it worked in 64. I'm the asshole. I didn't like it. Um, But I've met many other critic assholes who don't like it as well. So I feel that I'm not completely insane, uh, but I did not care for it. So, but you guys are the consensus. So tell tell me why I'm wrong. 
Well, I disagree with pretty much everything you said about it. <laughs> um, which it's actually, Ditto. it's really funny because most of the people I've talked to, talked to who didn't love it also don't love the original movie. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily have this like, you know, reverence for the original film, which, so I think that's really interesting because I do love the original Mary Poppins. I grew up on it. And when I first heard about Mary Poppins returns, I was pissed because I was just like, no, there's no reason to do anything more. That first movie was so great. And then when I saw this, I was just like, Oh, it's clear that this was made by people who love the original film. And I've actually talked to several of the people involved with making it. And that's universally the case. Every single person I talked to, the production designer, the costume designer, the editor, I talked to the uh, Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman who wrote the music. And every one of them has so much love for the original film that they were really excited to work on this, but also really scared to get it wrong. I think that they got it totally right. I think the music is amazing. I think that the performances are great. All of the production value is really wonderful. I love the fact that they dove into P.L. Travers's books. There are eight of them. And they went into those books to get ideas and for what the story could be. And every adventure that Mary takes the children on in this movie comes from something that P.L. Travers wrote. It looks amazing. I think that it's just such a fun story. It makes sense why Mary Poppins would return 20 years later. Um, I think it's very sweet. And I think it's the kind of movie that I personally needed to end 2018 on because that year was, it was a tough year. And to have something that could just make me feel so happy and so optimistic, it was a great experience for me. I've seen it three times and I actually have plans to go see it again this week with friends. And I, I'm excited to watch it again. I absolutely agree with that. And I do think that it's interesting that you're talking about most of the people you've talked to who have loved it, have loved the original, because that's been my experience. Also, one of my very good friends uh, before I'd even gone to see the movie was like, gushing about how much she loved this film. Like basically it started and she began crying and did not stop. Same, same. <laughs> uh, same. But she was like, you know, that some of it is because she grew up with Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins was her favorite Disney film. Like it was, it meant a lot to her that film did, and that she went into this. It was just like, oh no! It was just like tears. I, I kind of feel the same way. Like I loved Mary Poppins. I also loved Bed Dobbs and Broomsticks. Um, but Mary Poppins, like they're they're definitely there are moments in Mary Poppins that still just like get me all choked up and and I'm just like, I can't, I can't, I can't watch this. It's too, it's too <laughs> emotional. This film plays on those emotions. It's not doing it cynically. It really is trying to summon the same kind of reaction, but it's also trying to summon the same kind of reaction from adults. And, and so watching it, I was like, there were moments that just recalled me back to my childhood and watching the original. And then also moments where I was just like, this is definitely for children. This is something that children are going to relate to and enjoy. Um, I really liked the fact that even though they're they're repeating a lot of the same, they're, they hit each of the beats of the original film. So, But even though they do that, they're also telling a completely different story. And I like the fact that it is about partially about helping the children to get to be children 
they haven't gotten to be children. They've had to support their father. They've had to deal with the death of their mother. They've had to do things like, you know, the two older kids are having to take care of the little brother, all of that. They don't get to be kids. And then Mary Poppins shows up and is like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to teach you how to be children and to actually go into these places of imagination and these places that you don't believe at, you know, at the age of eight, you, you don't believe in anymore. And that's very sad. At times it felt a little overlong. There were a few, there were a few places where I was like, I, I could, I could have done without the Chicago callback. I don't know why Rob Marshall thought that was necessary, except that he, it's like one of his big hits and he was just like, Oh, I'm going to do a callback to Chicago. I wasn't a fan of that. I loved it. I loved Emily Blunt's performance. I love Ben Wishaw just like broke my heart. That was the song where I began crying. Lin-Manuel Miranda is, is amazing. It's nice to actually see him on a, a big screen in like a major role. Yeah, there, there wasn't anything like by the end of the film, I was just like, I just feel happy. I'm just happy with this. Like this, this just made me feel good. And, uh, and I think that that's what the film was going for. It wasn't going for big, big meanings or big, uh, you know, solutions to anything. It was just like, no, this is, this is a movie that is designed to make you emotional and to make you happy. And that's what it does. And and I greatly enjoyed that. I'll jump in. I mean, I have to echo exactly what Karen says and just, and you as well, Lauren, the feels. It just, that was the perfect movie to end 2018 on. I admitted in our movie resolutions episode i shamefully say that i have not actually seen the original mary poppins <laughs> I've, I've studied film history and i've seen saving mr banks so you know i've seen all the big clips but that is on my list to take care of this year so i went into this not ha- only having seen saving mr banks and loved it shamelessly but i started crying i think ben wishaw's first song and yes. didn't yes. stop through pretty much the Ben Wishaw just broke my heart. And I was, uh, he was by far, I would say my favorite part of the movie. I just wanted to grab onto him, hug him and, you know, just wait. It started me on a Ben <laughs> Wishaw phase again. He is just so, he needs more love than he gets in film. It's, he is such a good performer and just so everything he does is so spot on. I just, I love him shamelessly. I didn't review this, so I'm kind of going off the cuff. I just I'm speaking from having paying my money, my own money to go see it. The songs, the just the message, I it made me happy. <laughs> there are two moments, and they're not scenes; they're just little reactions that Emily Blunt has. That every time I've seen them, I have just giggled so much. And one is when she's about to go into the tub with the kids during Can You Imagine That? And just that look of joy on her face as she's Uh excited to give them this. And then the other one is when they're getting on the bike and John says, how much do you weigh? And that look of horror on her face is so hilarious. That that was such spot on casting and I know I remember speaking with some trepidation about this on this podcast you know the fear that this is going to be a Disney sequel cash grab and I was just so happy to see the heart behind that movie it for something to come out of that studio it felt so earnest and so happy and so well-meaning it was just such a joy to see it work well, I'm glad everybody had fun. <laughs> <laughs> See you again on Monday. 
We can't help that you don't know joy, Kristen. <laughs> I I think I just what wasn't buying what Disney was selling, and I say that as somebody supposed to who's supposed to be going to Disneyland tomorrow. Moving on to our last review, Aquaman. Nah. Going from joy to yeah, I find it really hilarious that essentially the tables turn. Aquaman. <laughs> who? Karen, did you see it? I did. Okay, so we've all seen it. Fair play, like Mary Poppins Returns, we started with negative and went to positive, so I think okay. I should probably start. <laughs> well, I hated it more oh, than yeah. you, so, so should I start? I think that Kim hated it the most. I did, I truly Tell did. Why you, I... don't hate, why you hate big, crazy, batshit insane movies that make no sense. <laughs> Well, see, I went into this as I think I was probably the second person to see it. I went in looking for kind of hot mess syndrome, the good, bad movie. I was looking for this, waiting for it. It didn't click for me at all. I, this was, it's what, a two and a half hour movie? That was the longest, most awkward, most uncomfortable, painful sit I've ever sat through. I, didn't catch it because this story follow we're kind of jumping in after justice league doing all the character development for aquaman that they didn't have time to do during justice league since he already appeared i will say the first act worked for me i guess they lost me when they started going into the undersea stuff i didn't think the visuals looked good at all i wasn't buying any of that i wasn't buying amber heard jason momoa was doing a little more than he had to i mean he when he dropped down in the first scene my entire theater of ladies hooted and hollered and it's like that was the peak of the movie for me and that was five minutes in and then it's just, he started wearing shirts and cargo pants and he was by far the star of the movie, and I thought he did the best. I felt it underutilized everybody else, from Amber Heard to Patrick Wilson. Willem Dafoe seemed like he was having a blast. Nicole Kidman did seemed underused, underutilized. I saw that twist coming with her character about three quarters of the way through. I mean, ultimately, DC doing what. DC seems to do best and proving that Wonder Woman was clearly just, uh, you know, a fluke. God, you're just so wrong. It's amazing <laughs> how wrong one person can be. And I thought that Kristen was always wrong, but obviously. <laughs> oh, no, I, I hated this movie with a. I couldn't find a positive. I truly tried. I was as forgiving as I could be coming in expecting it to be bad, but thinking it was winkingly bad. That wasn't even winkingly bad. Karen, what did you think of it? So I definitely didn't hate it like Kim did. I found it entertaining, but not good. That's that's what I would say. I thought that Jason Momoa was a lot of fun. I really like him. I liked the story. I just, I there were things that just didn't come across well. Like, why the hell is he wearing jeans in the ocean? You know, just stupid stuff like that. Amber Heard's character was a good character, but I do not like her. And I couldn't believe that they found the one actress in the world that has zero chemistry with Jason Momoa. Yep. And there was a yep, scene yep, when yep. they're in Italy that is straight out of The Little Mermaid. And I was just like, what in the hell is happening right now? <laughs> Doesn't need to have chemistry with him because it's not about them fucking in the end. I mean, I know it is, but... 
I didn't it care is. if they got together. Well, I didn't want them to get together. I was like, he could do so much better. Why do you hate Joy so much? Why do you people hate Joy? I don't I, understand. I love Joy. And God, that's why I love no, you don't. To see happiness with someone else. Want to hear the trivial concern that I had throughout that whole thing? Why were there no bubbles coming out of their mouths when they talked underwater? Okay. This got to be the headspace where I was in. I was Why? fixating there on that no bullshit. Bubbles went fish talk. You are questioning verisimilitude of Aquaman. Like, yeah, no, oh I... my God, don't do that, you guys, because it will fail miserably. You'll just be like, why is this happening? You're just like, no, that that doesn't make sense. Of course it doesn't. No, that stuff didn't bother me. It, but I, I did, kept, I, I was frustrated over the jeans and, and combat boots in the ocean because I was just like, that just seems really uncomfortable. But other than that, like the little quirky things are just like, eh, whatever, I don't care. I do believe this is the second best film in the DCEU. Nothing's going to beat Wonder Woman, except for hopefully Wonder Woman 1984. I'd be all for that being even better than the first one, which I love. The others have set such a low bar that being better than any of those is not hard. <laughs> so It's hard to, it's not hard to be better than uh, a dumpster yeah, fire. But, and I didn't think that this was a dumpster fire. I just, eh. Oh, I'm saying Justice League was. Oh, Justice League was definitely. But I, I just, I, I didn't hate this movie. I didn't think it was the worst movie or anything. I didn't even think it was terrible, but I just did not love it. So I guess I'll go next because I'm, I'm slightly, hold on, I gotta, I went with my friend. My friend um, loves Jace Momoa. So she had claimed dibs on this for like a year. And I was like, I really don't want to go see this. She was like, I don't care. I didn't want to go see any of the movies that you've taken me to go see. So you owe me one. So I went and at about 20, 25, 30 minutes in, I said, I'm going to get up and go get something to eat. And then I sat there and I was like an hour later, I'm like, I'm going to get up. I'm going to get up. I did not get up the entire. I was just so mesmerized. As Karen says, this movie is not good, but it is so compellingly batshit that I was just enthralled by how entertainingly bad it was. Jace Momoa narrates this movie as if he's reciting some sort of sea shanty, you know, <laughs> where it's just like this operatic story of like man and fish. At, at one part, I called it, you have a, a soap, a fish soap opera. And then you have this other movie <laughs> that's a globe trotting adventure that looks like it could have conceivably been set in the 1940s with the little mermaid. And I loved both elements of that. I thought Amber Heard was amazing. I mean, she's pretty much auditioning, as Lauren will know. I, ca I literally hit my friend. I was like, okay, so when we make the Amelia Peabody movies, Amber Heard's auditioning, right? Because she's got, oh, that, oh, she's no. got that, like, tough, kick-ass just like no nonsense bearing to her um and yes she she is practically the little mermaid only if the little mermaid i think was smarter i thought she was great i think she stole the show from jason momoa who is good but he's just playing jason momoa i thought nicole kidman was great but really it is all about just how utterly insane this is and these characters are playing it a hundred percent straight you know it's just like amber heard is reciting exposition she's just like looking at the camera like, yeah, duh, does this not make sense to you? How does it not make sense? It's totally sensical. There's literally a fight scene where they have 
glamour shots of the two fighters with their stats and you're just like how did they get that guy's information he's not ever been here patrick wilson kidnaps his brother and chains him up sexily and then takes his shirt as like why why would he do that is it creepy is it gay i don't know but i'm enthralled they got Joe fucking lundgren to play a mer king okay i mean <laughs> Merman! No, he is a mer king because he is the king of all the mermaids or whatever. He's um, Jack. I was quoting Sighting. Zoolander. Thank you very much. Okay, you know we don't talk about that movie. Uh-huh. It's fucking terrible. Uh, no, it is not fucking terrible. No, it's not. I was mesmerized. I am all for like you're talking to a girl whose favorite movie is Xanadu. Xanadu makes not a lick of sense okay and you know what i i had a xanadu level experience with this movie if they had started singing i'd have been like yeah but that makes sense there's a fucking octopus banging drums in this movie why why not i will say that octopus dress is amazing (laughs) (laughs) lauren what what did you think i fucking loved this movie And I say this as someone who does not particularly like superhero films to begin with and and has liked exactly one of all of the DCEU films. And I, so I liked Wonder Woman. This one I was, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm sort of mostly there with you, Kristen. I was just like, this is insane. This is the greatest thing ever. This is like a bat shit out the window. And I do think that everybody involved knew that and that knew at some level, because Aquaman is, to mm-hmm. begin with, a ridiculous character. So they doubled down on that. Like, James Wan was like, you know what? It's ridiculous, so we're going to make it as ridiculous as possible, and we're going to use all of the tropes and everything that, that people make fun of Aquaman for, and we're just going to go for it and have a great time with it. And they did that. I thought it was great. I actually thought that Amber Heard and Jason Momoa had perfectly fine chemistry, as good chemistry as anyone else in the DCEU. Um I like both of them, and I enjoyed watching the two of them together. Everything about it, I was sitting there for two and a half hours. I was like, this is awesome. Why would anybody not enjoy this? You, there, there's just like, it's it's crazy. Just like, oh, now we're in the desert. Why the fuck are we in the desert? Why are we in the Sahara? She jumped out of an airplane in the Sahara, and now they're like walking across sand dunes and bickering with each other. And now she like fires shards of wine at people. And that is fucking awesome. Like, how can how can anyone just be like, oh, no, that's boring. It's just like, no, no, that's not boring. That is hilarious and really, really cool. Why is Patrick Wilson riding an alligator in the ocean? They, like, ride gigantic seahorses at one point. They're, like... There are seawater alligators, Kristen. <laughs> oh, well, I did not know that, Steve Irwin. Thank you. Well, Willem <laughs> Dafoe is, like, all but says, patience, young grasshopper. Like, I'm just waiting for it. I've had so much fun with every single element of this film. And, and I will I- say... The CGI they do to smooth out Willem Dafoe is fucking terrifying, but it's so weird, <laughs> and I, I couldn't look away. I actually really liked the the underwater action, like just in terms of the CGI. I thought they did. I thought they actually did a really good job with it. 
given that so much of the film actually takes place underwater, I it was it was nice to see that there there was some attention to detail there. There was some attention to the way that like people's hair moved and the way that people sounded and and all of that. And I don't know if it's necessarily realistic, but it felt real within the context of the film. It worked. It made sense. I did like that they found ways to have pockets where they could be underwater, but not in water. They did a nice balance with that. There were a couple of times where I was like, are we going to play this entire thing, you know, with this sort of weird echoey voices? Uh, And they didn't. And I'm glad of that. I also have to say, I saw this movie in IMAX. And Jason Momoa in IMAX is just... (laughs) I might be a little biased because of that because I was just like, oh, yes. Oh, oh, this is wonderful. Like, yes, please just roll up your sleeves a little bit more. Yes, thank you. I will say, Jason Momoa, I wrote this in my review. They shoot him like it's a porn. Every line is said like over the shoulder with his hair in his face. Yeah. He's half naked. <laughs> and you're like, is it a last line or is it a panty dropper? They're literally the same thing. Okay. He might never come back but you have no underwear on anymore. Like, and I, I say this is somebody who does not, I, I get Jace Momoa, but he's not for me. Like that's just, he's not my thing. I was still like, I felt like somebody knew that women were going to see this and they didn't give a shit bit about plot. And so they were just like, you know what? We're just going to objectify him. You know, in terms of the more serious, as it were, elements of this, I actually did. I found it very interesting that this was a film that featured a, a native Hawaiian that is all about this this young man who wants acceptance from his incredibly blonde, uh, incredibly white undersea family and is constantly being told that he is not pure enough for them. I thought that that was a really interesting, that was an interesting element to actually bring into the Aquaman story and to bring into the DCEU, which can sometimes come off as incredibly fascistic, particularly with Batman and Superman. And this was like a completely different take on that. And so in that sense, this was actually dealing with some interesting issues within the superhero format. And I've got to say, I enjoyed this more than almost half of the Marvel films that I have seen. I think that I I enjoyed this more than um, certainly than Infinity War, than most of the Captain America films, than most of the Iron Man films. The only Marvel film that I've enjoyed more than this is uh, Black Panther. Take that as you will. Uh, Yeah, I, I loved it. Like I, I, truly think that you do have to give into it you have to be like okay this is silly but it's a fun silliness aquaman was always silly so and to translate that to the screen was a big challenge and i don't think that this was ever going to be a great movie so it's hard to be disappointed by something that wasn't gonna i mean nothing's gonna be wonder woman so Uh, Our most anticipated episode is out. We did ask the listeners to send in what they were anticipating. So we're going to read a couple. Uh, Mick Brooks at Mick196622 says, And in the apocalypse, Suspiria, sorry to bother you, etc. That never made it to local cinemas. So I have to wait to see on disc. Courtney Small at Small Mind says, Us, Fast and Furious present (laughs) Hobbs and Shaw. I forgot that was a thing. And Brandon Agnew at BLCAG News says, It Chapter 2, Anna and the Apocalypse. I'm really glad people have Anna and the Apocalypse on there. Um, Us, Captain Marvel, Star Wars Episode 9, Little Women, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, Frozen 2. He says in parentheses, yep, still on the Frozen train. And Four Avengers, Obs. 
And we also wanted to send a thank you out to Lindsay D at TMP Lindsay, who says, Big thanks to Citizen Dame Pod for bringing blind spotting to my attention. I rented it tonight and it was phenomenal. Woo-hoo. Easily in my top five of the year. Yay! Again, Anna and the Apocalypse and Blind Spotting. That's really all you need to know. It's so yeah. good. <laughs> so that's gonna close out this very lengthy episode of Citizen Dame. Actually, once I edit it, it might not be that lengthy. You can get in touch with us on all sorts of different formats. Listen to the podcast uh, wherever podcasts are available, including iTunes. If you're listening on iTunes, help us out. Leave us a rating and a review. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, send us your comments. You can do that on Twitter at Citizen Dame Pod. We also have a Facebook, which is facebook.com slash citizen dame. If you really want to send us a manifesto, you can email it to us at citizendamepod at gmail.com. Please be sure to head over to our official website, which is citizendamepod.com. Up right now, you can read our top five movie resolutions that we all have for 2019. Kim does her regular Feminist Fridays. She's still looking at the films of Jean Harlow. And Lauren does Damestruck, looking at classic films that you can find on services that aren't Filmstruck. She has uh, new installments on works like Shot Corridor and Hitler's Hollywood, which actually I'd never heard of until she reviewed it. Now I'm very interested in it. Yeah, you gotta see it. You need to see it. Uh, We also have all sorts of other articles, including show notes. So if you want to watch trailers that we've talked about, find links to articles that we've referenced. They are all on there, uh, as well as Karen's review of On the Basis of Sex. So yeah, if you haven't uh, read all of our reviews, you should read that one. Uh, We are going to be doing uh, a bonus episode on On the Basis of Sex, which is why we didn't mention it. So stay tuned for that. Um, if you want to give us your money in different ways, you can go over to our new Zazzle store, which is zazzle.com slash citizen dame. There we have our logo and some sayings on shirts, pens. Again, the Miss Your Pine notebook. <laughs> really gonna bring your together if you buy it. So I should actually really check because I don't look at the stats all the time. Maybe someone has bought it. Uh, that's Zazzle.com slash citizen dame. And if you want to help support the show through Patreon, we always have our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash citizen dame. If you give little as $3, you'll get an official citizen dame pin. We also have our bonus content, which is going to be up there. We're prepping our Suicide Squad audio commentary, as well as our upcoming Man from Uncle show. That's going to only be available to Patreon people. And if you become a patron in the month of January... You can enter our monthly Citizen Dame Patreon contest. Last month, Brian B. got a whole bunch of really cool swag that uh, I had lying around what I've dubbed Citizen Dame HQ. This month, if you are a current patron or you become a new patron, you can enter to win a copy of Karina Longworth's book, Seduction, as well as a digital code for Bad Times at the El Royale. So if you want to uh, enjoy Chris Hemsworth and read about the exploitation that Howard Hughes perpetuated on women, you can win those things. Uh, Patreon.com slash Citizen Dames. Uh, you can always follow us on our own individual Twitters. I'm at Journeys underscore film. Karen, where are you? I am at Karen M. Peterson. Lauren. I am at LH Business. And Kim. At KPair624. So we're going to say goodbye for this week but we will be back next time bye, bye. which proves our cover is not the book so open it up and take a look cause
under their covers One discovers that the king may be a crook Shut the titles are like signs And if you read between the lines You'll find your first impression was mistook For a cover is nice, but a cover is not the book Shall we do the one about the wealthy widow? Oh, by all means. Always love that one. Well, go on then. Lady Hyacinth McCaw brought all her treasures to a reef. Where she only wore a smile. Plus two feathers and a leaf. So no one tried to rob her because she barely wore a stick. But when you're in your birthday suit, there ain't much there to show you're rich.